Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to Crunch Time. Higgins has got it at centre half four. There's absolutely no one home. So he descends into a vacant goal square. Bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. Goal. We just got a handle that affection. Straight to Higgins, who's kicked another one. And the Saints have kicked another goal and they have the lead. Now Higgins, who's had his traumas in front of goal from 50 metres out. Back. He's given everything. Pins back the ears and drills it across to Ross from Crouch. Into the 50, running back with a flight. The man that loves the goal more than anyone. And that is Higgins. Oh, he shared it unexpectedly. He gave it to Crouch. And the job is done for the Saints. They've gone to the nation's capital. And they have claimed victory. Probably mixed emotions. We came, came to Canberra to win the, win the game and get the four points. And I thought our second half was very, very encouraging. Um, and then when you have somebody like Jack Hayes, um, you know, what a great person and what he's done in a short term at our footy club to do an ACL, it's, you know, you, I think the mood is a little bit up and down. But... The win certainly came at a cost. Their king was wayward, but the Saints still claimed maximum points. They're 5-1 for the first time since 2010 and daring to, to dream. But as Brett Ratton mentioned, the win did come at a cost. Despite Toby Green's return, it was more capital punishment for GWS. Their giant slide continues, and at 1-5, the pressure continues to mount on their coach, Leon Cameron. You've got to think your way through against good sides. We've played another top four side in St Kilda, and you have to go the distance, and we didn't. We, we, we let ourselves down the third quarter, but, um, I mean, pressure's everywhere. You know, clearly we're under pressure, but um, whether it's myself, the whole club, we, we, we need to keep learning and understanding that Every week, if you're prepared to learn and understand why we got beaten or why we weren't in the game, then we'll turn it around. I'm confident that's, what, that's what's going to happen. And dissension is in the air. The crack, crackdown on umpire dissent as many throwing their arms in the air. The debate shows no signs of slowing down after more confusion last night. We'll get to the bottom of that big issue and more on the round six edition of Crunch Time. The weekend is defined by the bookends of umpire respects piece that starts back on Thursday night and concludes on Monday. And I think it would be a reasonable observation to say that the AFL has lost control of this by round five. No, it's a difficult one. And I feel like if it's not demonstrative, it's just, I don't know, sometimes it's just a reflex. Like, Are you clear now on what you are and aren't able to do? Yeah, to be honest, I'm probably not. Eh? I'm, not, I'm not, that, not, not clear on it. There's no acceptable level of dissent towards umpires. So if players show demonstrable dissent, then they're risking a free kick or 50 metre penalty. Uh, in terms of what that level look, looks like, that's up for the umpire to decide. We're sitting here at Fox Footy and there was, I counted up, there was about 1,800 games of experience and I went around and asked everyone mm. and they were all just steams coming out of their ears. So there is a crisis. 
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crunch Time. Julian DeStoop with you. Great morning if you're a Saints fan. Five in a row, as we mentioned, for the first time since the last time they played in a grand final, 2010. 17-point winners last night, 10-17-77. The Giants, 8-12-50. Welcome our team today, Nick Del Santo. Full kit's a bit much, Del. I know the Saints are going well, but full kit's a bit more. Well, I can take the jumper off. It is lovely to be here. Good morning to you both. Looking forward to the next couple of hours with you and with everybody. And I must say, it is this is my first time on Crunch Time this year, and I've missed you guys, but it is a perfect morning to come in off the back of last night's performance. I've spoken to, Delaney, uh, to Benny Lyon, our producer, who's obviously a mad Demon supporter. We're just trying to organise our grand final mm. tickets. I'd love to sit next to him <laughs> on the big dates. This is done. It's it's done. There's only two good teams in the competition. One rolled over last night and got the job done. We'll see how the D's go tomorrow night, but it is nice. I mean, you go back to 2010, and you know, obviously the premiership drought goes a lot longer than that, but it is just nice to be able to sit back and watch your team for two hours each week, and you think you know what you're going to get from them from an effort perspective, and... It was a solid performance last night. We're going to dissect it. Well, that sort of arrogance will get back to Brett Ratt. So that'll be interesting <laughs> when you walk into uh, Moorabbin this week. I probably jinxed him. We're in uh, Brett Sanderson also joins us. From a coaching point of view, Stando, Brett Ratton had one hand tied behind his back for that second half with two bigs injured. It's, you can understand why he was so pleased with that effort. Yeah, thanks, Jules. And Dow, good to see you. Did you see the hit-outs at the end of the game? 77 <laughs> to 19. So you're right. It was, a, it was a great effort, the way that they sort of shuffled the pieces uh, while they tried to try and win the game and I mean clearances didn't really reflect that either they still lost clearances um, I think it was by 10 so not not a massive number to lose clearances by but they did well um, and they still lost contested ball which has been their trademark Dow they've they've been so much better around the contest this year the Saints they're just harder they've got great balance around the um, the inside and outside of the contest a few of those younger players like Sinclair and Ross and Crouch have just been fantastic to support uh, Jack Steele who's obviously did it bit of a one-man show last year, but they look really good, the Saints, and they were challenged last night. That was a massive game for the Giants. They they really needed to win, um, and on the road, the Saints stood up for five in a row. There's um, there's plenty to like about St Kilda this year. And a final member of a team. Now, he's a man that never would have given away a free kick for up by descent. <laughs> Luke Hodge was cool, calm, and collected out on the field. He joins us uh, from Brisbane. Hodgie, welcome. You uh, were calling the game last night. So five in a row for the Saints, including road wins against a you know, fired-up Giants. The Dockers, which stacks up really well. Uh, they thrash the Hawks. So that form line stands up pretty well. We're looking at a team, Hodgie, that uh, could be the real deal by season's end. Yeah, morning, Jules, Sando and Dal. Dal, I actually thought you sounded like a Carlton supporter then for <laughs> the first four weeks. We're, we're all similar. We're all similar. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lid's off. Um, oh, look, what I got from last night, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty game by all means, but I think St Kilda won in a way that they haven't won in, in a few years. Um, it was that dirty fight. I think they come with the mentality. Yes, we know, like, watching them play against Hawthorne, beating them by 100 and whatever points, and, and their ball movement and their turnover game was excellent. But last night was a gritty game, and they, they stood up to it. They had 24 tackles in the first quarter, which was uh, their most for, for a quarter for this season. Um, and, and I think you're, you're right, Sandra. I think you're looking at the blokes in that middle. Like, Steele, everyone knows what he's like, his endurance, but he's as hard as anyone. Bringing in Crouch, um, who I think he was there, let going into the game was second in the league for tackles. Um, so they're willing to, to win the win the hard ball, but also they're happy to play defense and, and put their head over the ball as well. So they'll obviously, we'll, we'll talk about Jack Hayes in a sec, but they'll obviously lose Jack Hayes. But you look at who's to come back into this side as well. Paddy Ryder's back next week. Yep. Hunter Clark, 
Zach Jones and Jack Billings. Mm. That's four good players to add to this side. Yeah, and for one of the very few times in you know in a handful of years, they're going to have some serious dilemmas. Now it's a different conversation when you've been at the bottom of the ladder or mid tier, Sando, and you say, well, it's a real you know we're you know, it's really tight for spots. Yeah, but the quality's not there. So what we're starting to see now from the Saints, off the back of last night's you know performances. You're able to bring in four quality plays. So four decent slash quality plays have to go out. So there is really a good um, a fight for spots. And just to touch on Hodge's point, and I completely agree, they've done it in multiple ways this year, the Saints. And what we saw last night, and you talk about the clearance numbers and the hit-out numbers, there was 27 clearances in the last quarter. Now, it almost went to the negative for the Giants because we all knew who was going to win it. So the Saints just became so defensive. It's like when you used to play against Aaron Sanderlands and Fremantle. You knew you weren't getting your hand to the football. So you ultimately just went to defence and you walk away with more clearances than what they did. So they lose by 10 overall. They actually won the clearances in the last quarter because it was so lopsided. The question for the Giants is how do you get more creative? It was, you, there was, there was a lot different. of science behind it, was it? No, no. And you go back to that final where the Giants played, I think it was the Pies at the MCG, and it was the reverse. It was the Pies that had the ball in their front half with no creativity. Everyone knew what was going on. And they just lived that last night for 30 more minutes. But really important and, and impressive. We know what Jack Steele is, but now they've got layers to that. And they've got variety. You know, Seb Ross is changing his game, playing multiple positions. Brad Crouch is, you know, a, a different sort of complement in that midfield. But I think the biggest change has been Jay Gresham. I mean, this is a guy that's played 11 games over two years prior to this year. He is their Dustin Martin. He is their X factor that can come into the midfield, creative, a little bit elusive at times, but then can go forward. And we know he kicked that beautiful goal, um, the check side from the boundary line. He's that X factor that just completely changes the dynamic of that midfield. It, to- I think you've got to hand a little bit of credit to as well the coaching staff. As soon as as soon as they lost Hayes as the backup, and then Marshall looked proppy all night. He was still out there. He was still fighting, trying to trying to do what he could to give blokes a rest. But as soon as Battle had to go in, and as you said, Dale, there's no way he was going to win win the ruck top out uh, ruck hit outs against Flynn or Pruce. But what he did is they just surrounded the stoppage. GWS were happy to bring one up, but St Kilda were were putting one at the back of the stoppage. They had their wing as a support. But as the game went on, they you're right. They just tried to suffocate the game and just do what they had to do to, to walk away with a, with a solid win. I'm going to throw this to Sando from a coaching perspective. If you are the Giants and you know that physically no one else can get their hand to the football but, say, Bruce in that last quarter, how creative can you get and how do you get that message out instantly to get more bang for your buck when you're absolutely controlling the hitouts? Yeah, there's a few things you can do, Dow. You can obviously get more players running through the stoppage so you can... You can get the ball going your way at least. So you can gain 5, 10 metres from a from a, a hit-out that goes your way. Um, you can put extra numbers in the stoppage, but that gives the opposition, that would have given St Kilda an extra behind the ball. Um, but there's there's ways that you've got to try and get the ball in your half and then lock it in there. So um, it's looking... and They certainly had the star power there last night. And when you look at um, the names for the Giants, like they've still got, um, you know, Taranto, Tom Green's having a great season, yep. we know. Ward, Kelly, Coniglio, Whitfield, um, they should have been they should have been able to be more creative, exactly what you're saying, Dow. There should have been with that star power, there should have been the opportunities to get the ball um, more inside forward fifty. They still lost inside fifties by seven last night, the Giants, with that dominance mm. around hit outs and clearance. I know it's a really simplistic way and we can reflect on it quite comfortably from our couch, but I even thought they could have wound the clock back twenty years and gone back to Clark Keating in that last quarter and just Smash thumped it. that thing fifteen yeah. twenty and it's that surge mentality. And you go back to the Brisbane yep. Lions, everybody knew that they were a surge team. Yeah, you know, we speak about it like like that about Richmond right now. 
but you get a free 15, 20 metres and you get the likes of those players that are able to swoop on a loose ball being the Giants on the way through. I still felt that they were in their traditional structure of three inside midfielders, a tight winger and a corridor winger. They, they needed to change something. Now, whether that comes from the coach's box, but I'd also question the leadership and the ability to problem solve in that moment and not need the runner to come out or for a quarter time, half time, three quarter time break. Identify what is going on Take ownership of it and then go and get it done. It's, it's your game. You've got 22 there going up ultimately against 21. You, you can't have that result in the last quarter and walk away and think, oh, we'll work on it on Monday. Let's get stuck well, into the Giants. Well, Sorry, Hodge, after the next break. Sorry, Hodge, you go and then I'll, I'll go no, back to Jack. I was just going to say, it's, it's with that tactic as well. As they continue to push the, the six up high. If you've got midfielders with on, on a lot of money, like Cornelio, you've got Ward in there, you've got Taranto, you've got Kelly, these are some quality ball-winning midfielders. How come you continue to push a six up just to suffocate the stoppage? Yes, you do it at the start of the game for tactics, and, and they thought they might have been able to break through St Kilda that way, but as soon as you lose, the opposition loses their ruckman, and then they lose their second ruckman, you've got to clear out that space. And it just I was sitting there watching it, wondering why none of, there was no tweaks made. There was nothing to change it up. There was nothing to create space. Proust ended up um, late in the game, started to hit in that long 45 towards the boundary with a, with a boundary throw-in. But that was the only really time. But there was just so many St Kilda and so many GWS players in and around the contest that they just couldn't get any anything fly or anything anything smooth out of the stoppages. Just going back to your point about Jade Gresham, correct me if I'm wrong, he was never this influential before he got injured. So is, is it a... Has he just come back a better player, a more mature player? Is he playing a different role, which is allowing him to be more influential? I think two things, and this is not knowing intimately exactly what has changed his game or for him to have more impact. I think his work rate looks different. Um, I think his pre-season, well, the whole St Kilda team has been had a harder pre-season than what they had last year. But I also think he's complimented when you've got other people doing their role as well. Now, he's now that half forward. He was just that half forward and that really creative goal sneak. They have those guys. You know, Dan Butler's there. We were going to speak about Jack Higgins and what he's been able to do. And then they sort of sprinkle in these other guys around it. So Jade Gresham's got this ability to do a little bit of both. But I think his numbers look a lot better because he's around the football more in the midfield. And he's so creative. But ultimately, when the whole team's going a little bit better, you go a little bit better. So everyone sort of rises to that level as well. So I think he's being played. And we spoke about the coaching. I think there's a handful of St Kilda players right now that are being coached really well, being put in positions where they can show why they're really good footballers, and Jade Gresham's one of those. Who else? Uh, I think the, I think they need to be complimented for Brad Hill. You know, there was a lot of people last year, St Kilda supporters, probably more than anybody, that were asking a huge question mark, and it's more than just the salary. It's where's this guy's talent gone? Why is this guy running 16 kilometres a game and one of the best runners in the game and having 10 disposals? And I think it's, it's a fair question. But what I've liked is the half-back piece, half-forward, he's gone a little bit, and now he's being utilised to show his skill set. Um, I think Jack Sinclair, I think that's been a masterstroke for him to say, hey, this guy's got a skill set, and it's a unique one. Where do we put him to utilise? Now it's half-back, now it's a little bit of mid. And I think the other one's probably Dan McKenzie, who was out of the team last year, and to be completely honest, as a supporter, I wasn't quite sure mm. where he fitted into the grand plan. Well, he's a really important role player for a wing. And you, you put those pieces in together and, you know, they're not all role players. You go, okay, that makes sense now. And when you put them all together, gee, it works really well, doesn't it? I think the other thing too, Dale, is they're benefiting from a quicker style of ball movement as well. So those those small forwards, so um, Higgins, Butler um, and Gresham are getting a low number, outnumber contests ahead of the ball because the ball's getting there faster. Every time there's a mark in the midfield, there's a player shooting past for a handball received. 
So it's getting to king in low number out numbers, like one-on-ones or two-on-twos, and then those smaller forwards um, have got more space to work into. But if you're chipping it around, if you're going slow, if you're switching the ball a lot, it allows the opposition to get back, get their defence get uh, set up, um, and allow their system, their defensive system, to block you. But Gresham, um, Higgins, Butler, King, um, Membry, mm. um, they're, getting, they're getting the ball in space now, and it's coming there fast. It's coming there really quick. One thing that I've noticed, I don't have any numbers to, to back this up, but one thing watching you know, three or four games live each week is the emphasis is now through the middle of the ground and to clog that space up. We always speak about the front half turnovers, but you're right, Sando, as soon as you get through that initial pressure, you ultimately get one-on-ones or two-on-twos in your forward 50. If you can get through that first block, and it's yep. obviously a lot more simplistic. Get oh, sorry, a lot more difficult. Pressure, yeah. yeah, so you actually get the what you want at the other end of the ground in one-on-ones, but you've got to just get through that first 50 to 60 metres of pressure. But you're right, this is happening across the competition. I watched the dogs round one, and I was surprisingly shocked at how easy it was once they got there. The, the, the hard work was done, but once you're through, it was yeah. almost a guaranteed score in one way or another. You mentioned uh, Jack Higgins before. Hodge, I was going to ask you this question. You, you know you know Brett Ratton really well. You know some of the other key players. You know David Rath at St Kilda now, Jared Ruffin. What, what happened to him in round one where he was smashed for not giving a handball? Significant people in footy said, drop him. You've got to make a statement. <laughs> and then we see last night, 20 metres out, he gives off a little handball. His form's completely turned around. What does... What what would have been some of the conversations and what does that say about the sort of culture they've got at St Kilda that we've seen that mind shift in, in four or five weeks? I actually think you saw the reaction from that straight afterwards because that happened, I think, at the end of the second quarter. He didn't give the handball to Gresham, had a, had a shot. Go back the next quarter, early in the third quarter, he gets a, a ball in the goal square, handballs to Gresham when he could have had a shot. And I think the feedback that knowing what Rats is like and knowing what Ruffy is, look, if you make a mistake, that's okay. But just don't make the same mistake again if it's a selfish one and you're trying to get a goal for yourself. So I saw straight away that they must have gave him the feedback because I knew, I knew Gresham wasn't too happy when he didn't get that handball. But automatically you, you see him the next quarter go on and react and make a different decision to put the team ahead of himself. And then there's, I think if anyone out there who's known Higgins or, or you talk about teammates who, who have played with him is he'll do anything for his teammates. He seems like one of those blokes who would just put a smile on their face. He's always upbeat. He's always energetic. And that's what Rats loves in his players. So there's no surprise that Rats didn't drop him. There's no surprise that he's come out since then and and kicked multiple goals on on more than one occasion just because of his his mindset and just the freedom he has to go and play his football. And and I think you you work the rest. And what you were saying before, Dale, as far as everyone's playing that role and makes each other better. I I sat back last night and I was blown away by the selfless running of the St Kilda high half forwards. But... Everyone knew what they had to do. So whenever they had a switch on the back on the back flank, you'd see Bradley Hill running out to the wing to try and stretch the ground. So if the defender doesn't go with him, there's free spots in the middle. Or if they, sorry, if they go with Brad Hill, there's free spots in the middle. If they stay to clog up the corridor, Hill's open on the fat side. But it wasn't just him. I saw Marshall when he came back on from that corky. He was still trying to do it. He looked like he was a 70-year-old man trying to run, but he knew his role was to stretch the ground when it was his turn. And there's no surprise why Higgins and Butler are getting more impact forward, but it's also blokes like Membry and King are getting so many shots on goal because of the teammates up the ground that are doing all that selfless work rate to, to make that ball movement just easier on, going inside forward 50. Yeah, just on Jack Higgins, let's rewind the clock back to that round one performance. Now, we all identify that one. I mean, he should have given the handball. There's no doubt about that. We've, we've all been there. Yeah, of course <laughs> we have. And we've been on the receiving end where you, or on the opposite where you don't get the ball and you, you, know, you give your teammate a mouthful. But I think Hodgie raises a fantastic point that 
you know, whatever they're doing there, th- those actions changed instantly for, for Jack Higgins. And you look through some of his numbers. So last night, 18 disposals, kicks four goals, three, and clearly should have kicked a couple more, but that it is what it is. But you look at his season as a whole and his ability to change this around. He's currently sitting on 14 goals, 11. That's from four games in one quarter. He got knocked out in the first yep. quarter after kicking one against the Tigers. He's gone zero goals, zero goals, four. Four goals, two, one goal, and then getting knocked out. Week off, five goals, two, four goals, three. So the positive is this is a small forward who, I guess by definition, is not really meant to get the ball that much. You're only meant to get it if the big guys aren't doing it. He's taking three marks inside 50 a week. He's kicked 14 goals, 11. He's doing his role. And the reason he didn't get dropped in round one was his effort is exceptional. This is a man that brings energy and Mm. brings everything to the team that you often don't get dropped on a single act of selfishness within reason. But he's not getting dropped because his effort's there and he's doing everything that they want of a small forward. And I heard Brett Radden speak post-game in his presser and he actually spoke about his previous couple of games. Some of them were really good number-wise, but his pressure wasn't there. Mm. Some of his games weren't as good, but his pressure there. So he was actually giving the balance about what they value in a small footballer. The bit that I am disappointed is I heard him get interviewed twice last night post-game. The St. Kilda media team have toned him down. Well, <laughs> and that's it's inappropriate. what happens in football. Do not do that to this young man that has brought us some brilliant entertainment, more probably in interviews yeah. and off-field than he did on-field, but do not take well, away the your, personality time. He gave time. a clip a couple of times. Well, that's fine. That we, was good. We accept that. Yeah, that was good. Let him be himself in the media. Oh, getting rid of characters and footy. Who would have thought? Hey, another man <laughs> that uh, is doing his job really well is Mason Wood, the former kangaroo, uh, playing some great footy with the Saints. He's going to join us. After the break, you're listening to Crunch Time. The award-winning Crunch Time. Welcome back to Crunch Time. I'll tell you what, the Saints are onto it. Dell is getting messages from the club. Stop talking about <laughs> grand finals. We haven't gagged Jack Higgins. What are you talking about? So, uh, yeah, Claire at the Saints, she is right onto it this morning. Now, we're speaking about players just playing their role really nicely, improving it. At always, and one of those is certainly the former kangaroo, uh, Mason Wood, who's been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Mason, congratulations. Hey, guys, thanks, guys. Just Appreciate take you having me on. Just take us through the mood in the rooms last night. You, you know, it's an away win, a bit against the odds with a couple of injuries, but then you, you walk into the rooms and you see a guy who's had a great story like Jack Hayes is suddenly he's going to be out for the year. What, what was that sort of emotion in the rooms like last night? Yeah, it's always bittersweet when that happens. Um, Obviously, stoked to be, you know, going as well as we are as a club. But you know, it's going to be a long journey for him um, for the next twelve months or however long it takes for him to return. Um, and it's just, yeah, for a bloke that's worked so hard to get to uh, an AFL club, and you know, I was speaking to him last night. He hasn't really had an injury, and you know, that happens, and it's just devastating for obviously him. But yeah, it sombers the mood a bit for sure. Mace, just in, we'll start at the end and then we'll work our way back through the game. I just want to ask you about that last quarter. And we've been very complimentary already this morning about the style of play and how already this year in the five wins you've had, it feels like they've been in different ways. In that last quarter, it just looked like it was more about grit and determination, but it felt like it went for a very long time. How did that feel for 30-odd minutes in that last quarter? 27 stoppages, just repeat effort after effort, and then ultimately walking away with the desired outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think what's been really good about the, the team this year has been our ability to adapt, uh, whether that be team to team or um, players flipping around. Like, I think if you had have said me and Josh Battle were doing the ruck in the last quarter, you would have said um, <laughs> chances of winning are pretty slim. But, 
Um, yeah, I think grit was sort of thrown around a little bit, and um, in that last quarter, it was just yeah, I guess try to. We were obviously in front, and um, you know, try to slow the game down as much as possible with what we had sort of on the park at the time. So. Um, yeah, it was pretty impressive to get a win, I guess, in those circumstances. Mace, you've been around for quite a while, and you've touched on a couple of uh, a couple of things there about being able to change things. What's been the significant change from last year to this year? And take out even win loss, but just the style of footy. What are you identifying already that is significantly different? Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, it's definitely been a huge, not massively shift, but a massive emphasis on things that are team first and. Um, I guess around, you know, guys that are just playing their roles and I'm definitely one of them just to get the win. And I think that's been something that we're making a big note of in meetings and, um, yeah, really pumping up the guys that are, that are doing their role and then able to have influence from there. But yeah, I guess that's, that's obviously other than having a few more blokes on the park this year certainly helps with, you know, Gresh and that coming back in and, um, Benny Patton and that, that certainly helps. But, yeah, I would say um, just the team-first attitude's been next to none and, you know, something that's been really fun to be a part of. You speak about being a role player, mate. How many positions did you play last night? (laughs) Started off on the wing um, and then rotated deep forward, um, was playing high forward, um, and then Rats came to me in battle and said, look, we're going to need you to rock out. Um, the last corner, I sort of said, where do I hit it? And they said, don't worry about hitting it. Just um, <laughs> <laughs> just stop him from getting clean hits. So, yeah, I think me and Batsy both laughed at the end of the game that um, we both had a hit out, so we're both pretty happy with that. But, yeah, that's that's a part of my role um, this year and something I'm more than happy to do. If there was coach dissent, would have you had any free kicks against your 50 for dissent when being told that you were now going to be the Ruckman? <laughs> no, it was I know, I know you relatively well. I know Josh Battle would have said, absolutely, I'll do whatever it takes. What about you? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've obviously done a little bit in the forward 50 at times, but they said, look, if you're going to have to do a centre bounce, I said, there's no chance I'm going to be able to do a centre bounce. And funnily enough, I said during the week to Jack Steele, I've never been in an AFL centre bounce. And for the very last one of the game, I was in there. So it was um, bucket list, tick that off and... Um, hopefully I don't have to do it too often. Mason, Brenton Sanderson here. Congratulations on the win last night. When when you hear Simon Goodwin talk publicly in the media, he's very open about their trademark, which he always says contest and defence is what's going to win us another premiership. What's St Kilda's trademark? Um, I mean, it'll be, be around those sort of things. We talk about our pillars and the things that we hold ourselves to come the end of the day, and it certainly is around contest and um, team first acts and those sort of things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's those things that you see in the good teams. Certainly last year you did with Melbourne with blokes being flicked around to other positions that we're starting to do a little bit of and blokes just taking on the chin and um, no fuss. Um, I've been certainly in teams in the past that that hasn't happened to the as, as well as we're doing it at the minute, which is really exciting. So, yeah, I think, you know, unselfishness is certainly something that's, you know, been thrown around as well. So, yeah, those sort of things. Well, I think, I think Mason, one thing that coaches and definitely players um, almost aren't allowed to talk about in the media is offence. And that's what I think's humming for St Kilda at the moment. You're the number one offensive team in the competition at the moment. 
And what I really like, and I'm sure your supporters are loving, is your ball movement. You're moving the ball so fast from from almost D50 to forward 50. It looks like it's just really quick. Uh, players getting passed for handball receives. Um, how much extra work has been spent this summer on your offense? Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that it's any more than, than years gone past. I think um, we've certainly got a, a lot of confidence in what we're doing at the minute. Um, it'd be cliche of me to say that it's coming from a lot of our defensive stuff, but it certainly is. It, it makes it a lot easier to score when you're turning the ball over. So um, that's what we've been trying to do a lot of. So um, rebounding from turnover last night is, you know, I think how we scored because they were they were quite good when we they had us in slow play and they've got a lot of tall defenders and them doing what they do well, marking the footy. So I think. Yeah, that fast play generally comes from our defence. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's certainly it's certainly fun to watch. But you know, it's how does it start? I guess. With that, you've you've got to spend a lot of time on. Oh, sorry, how much time do you spend on on running patterns? So when you do get a turnover on the half back line, which you've been doing very well the last few weeks, but as soon as you switch it to the open side, it's not just Brad Hill who's doing it. You've got four or five. Um, outside wingers or, or mids that are stretching the ground just to create that space. How much time do you spend and how much time do you reward that in your meetings post-game? Oh, it, it takes up a, a lot of our meetings now. Um, like I was saying earlier, it's it's something that if you want blokes continually to do it and it's not something that gets brought up in, you know, on the stat sheet or people talk about, then it's got to be rewarded in the meeting, which it has been. So um, it, it's an expectation that, you know, I've been playing a fair bit of wing and we've got um, Dan McKenzie's been doing it really well in the sire. Um, new to the club, Wanganeem Malira has been doing it really well as well. But yeah, it's just an expectation that you know we run both ways, and you run just as hard forward as you do defensively, and vice versa. So, um, but yeah, I think it's it's encouraging that you know when we do it well, it comes off. So people are going to keep turning up if um, you're doing that really well. So I think at the minute, lots of blokes are willing to take off with good shape behind the footy and, you know, be damaging. That's a massive key to, to winning premierships. You can defend, you can be offensive, but if you've got teammates that are willing to do that sacrificial role for your, for your side, for your, for your other teammates, it's, it's a big key to, to winning late in September. The other thing that helps you win late in September is goal kicking. Do you go down to King at any stage throughout <laughs> the last couple quarters and say, mate, just give the handball off or... Uh, do you, any advice? Or how, how's his personality? Will he sit back and, and have a bit of a joke about it knowing he's got to improve? Or, or does it really get to him um, post-game? How, how was he after the game? Yeah, I didn't... I mean, I didn't have a chat. To be honest, I didn't realise he had... Uh, was it eight shots a goal and kicked one seven? And, um, you know, it's far from ideal. But in the heat of the game, I'm too busy about worrying about other things other than that. But he... Um, I mean, he's been through that in the past and I'm sure all decent forwards have it some period of time. So um just wasn't his night and he's kicked really well, you know, prior to that and weeks gone past. So, um, yeah, I think, I guess the growth area is once it happens, trying not to let it turn into two and three and four, um, which in previous years probably has hurt us at times. So, um because you're going to miss ones, but yeah, I guess it's that mentality of I'll just get the next one or whatever it is you need to do to stay locked in. But yeah, I mean, at the minute it hasn't cost us and hopefully we sort that out before it gets too close to um, costing us a game. Yeah, please, please don't, t- sorry, please don't tell me that Ruffy's been down there because <laughs> I've seen Ruffy shank his fair share in front of goal. 
Yeah, I mean, everyone, once you finish footy, everyone's an expert. So it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's so much easier once you're done. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, everyone understands that obviously wants to kick the goals and that kind of thing. So, but yeah, Ruffy's pretty black and white for sure, as you know. <laughs> I just gave you a prime spot to abuse Ruffy, then bag him out, <laughs> and you took it easy on him. Good half, Ollie. <laughs> no, he'd, um, if he found out I was bagging him, he wouldn't talk to me for a week. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> hey, before we let you go, Mason, now, look, we'll talk about this soon, but Dan McKenzie might have been a bit unlucky. But seriously, the whole world has been talking about descent, and he's the first player this week to give away a 50-metre penalty. There's got to be some sort of repercussion for that, doesn't there? Some sort um, of fine or something? Yeah, I mean... Uh, in, in, amongst the boys, it's a fine, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you can't help but sympathise with uh, D Mac. It was um, hard, and obviously, we we all we all believe that you know it's going to be stamped out of the game. And uh, my old coach Brad Scott's right on right all over it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, in that situation, you're just asking the question or trying to say that it hit the ground or whatever he was doing. Um, and we watched the footage back multiple times on the bus and you can just see him crawl into his shell and go, <laughs> oh, no, what have I done? Um, so he, after the game, he goes, he just said it would, it would be a nightmare if that cost us the game. But, you know, it'll get to the point where blokes just literally stand on the mark and not say anything, which is, I guess is what we're trying to get to. Do you reckon you'll be able to get there, Mace? In all seriousness, just for one moment, because we're going to talk about descent later on. And my bit that I'm struggling with is it's a natural reaction to something. Now, whether it's the definition of descent or it is just a reaction of disappointment or whatever it may be before you put your hands in the air to man that mark, do you honestly think it's realistic of players? And if it is, how long will it be until it is a natural reaction to do nothing after giving away a free kick? I mean, it's only been natural because we've been allowed to do it. So, um, you know, we spoke, if we speak about the, the little things that can be the difference for us winning and in games that can be so tight, it'll be the teams that get this right the quickest. So it's in your favour to do as much as you can to get this right. So, um, yeah, I think it'll it'll come around full circle quicker than you think. That's a pretty good answer, actually. Very good yeah, answer, yeah, Mason. Very That's good. the best hey. I've heard you speak. <laughs> well, a little drive-by from a former teammate. Uh, Mason, uh, thanks so much for your time. Up to Cairns next week uh, to take on Port and then a big one, the reigning premiers, the Ds uh, at the MCG. Uh, thanks for your time and uh, enjoy your weekend. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to chat to Mason Wood. Now, if you're not a Saints member yet, you'll never be a Saints member. So jump on as they march towards 60,000 members. Visit saintsmembership.com.au today. And after the break, we're going to sink our teeth into the Giants. What's gone wrong? A couple of individuals. and An interesting moment again with Harry Himmelberg last night asking for a handball. So we'll get stuck into all that after the break on Crunch Time. The award-winning crunch time. That's not we, we're not shying away from our part in this. Our part in this is that we've been inconsistent. We're inconsistent at the moment, um, and um, you know I'd be telling fibs if I didn't say that. You know we're, we're inconsistent. Inconsistent in the third quarter has cost us a chance to win a game tonight. Credit to St Kilda. That's why they're sitting five and one, and we're one and five. Um, but we've got some, you know, some challenges, and we, we, we'll hit them head on. We, we, we need to. We're not going to run. We've got round seven next week. Can't have a week off. Definitely can't. They've got Adelaide at Adelaide Oval next week. Uh, let's, let's stick our teeth into the Giants. On paper, 
you think they should be better than they are, or are we overrating their list? I think they should be better than what they are, without question. And when you look at their names in their squad and in their 22 at the moment, they should be performing better. And I said to you, Jules, on Thursday, I think for me, when if you're not really sure where you're at as a team, um, reflect on your performance against either Melbourne or Brisbane at the moment because they're, they're the benchmark. And I know Melbourne, and I said to you, Jules, on Thursday, there's a, there's a tier all alone, which is Melbourne. There's another tier just below that, which I think is Brisbane. And then the tier below that is a block of about six or seven teams. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Giants played Melbourne and lost by 67 points. So I think they're 11 goals off where they need to be to be a premiership contender. So when you look at, so then you've got to decide what are we going to do then to improve? I I actually think they have got the right players. When you look at Taranto, Ward, Kelly, Caniglio, Whitfield, um, Himmelberg's a really good forward. Um, and I think there's got some, there is some talent coming through. Guys like, like Perryman, Isaac Cumming, uh, Lockie Ash, Bobby Hills, a good, a good young player. Um, Hopper's out injured at the moment. And Riccardi, I think, has got some potential. I think he's a really good um, forward. So I think, and of course, Toby Green came back last night. And I said to you, Jules, he's, for me, I know, I know that Phil Davis is their captain, but I think Toby Green is their leader. Oh, Toby, he's a co-captain now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he, so he's their, he's their leader for me. He's, he's the one. And, Yes, he came back in last night and he had an, it, it, a certain influence on the game, but it just feels like something's not there at the moment. I, I, I can't put my finger on it because you look at the numbers and you you turn the list upside down, but I'm not sure what it is. It just I can't put a finger on it there. I think what we spoke to Mason Wood about before resonates with me when I look at the Giants, and we spoke about their offense and this being the Saints. And Mason said, yeah, but where does it start? Which is a really good point about, you know, our team defence complements our offence. And we know that the rebound, the turnover game is so significant. So you look through some of the raw numbers before we dig a little bit deeper. They've only scored over 75 points twice this year. But they've given up over 75 points five times. So they're not scoring enough. And I think if we would ask Mason Wood off the back of that last conversation, where's it not working? Well, he'd be saying it's their team defence. Defence and contest. Now, the contest was really good last night, and so it should have been with their ability in the ruck to win the contested football. So they win that tick. But their team defence, and a conversation has been said for a long time, it's not sturdy, it's not stable behind the football, and it's not consistent. And when you don't get that consistency defensively, your offence is the consequence off the back of it. You're not moving the ball well enough. And you reel off a couple of those names, Sando. I still think they've got some of the most talented plays in the game. Now, talent's a really dangerous word because football takes more than just raw talent. But ball in hand, they could arguably have three, four, five of the best kicks out of the top 20. Like They are that good. I look at Lockie Whitfield, Kelly, a handful of others that you know are really good players. But their game style doesn't accommodate for those guys to be fast. We look at the Saints, once again, from an offensive perspective. They're getting these really good looks forward to the football, even numbers, one-on-one, two-on-twos. The Giants aren't getting that no. because their game style on turnover or even when it's held up is a little bit more slow, controlled, which should actually contradict that by meaning they are more stable behind the football. You're able to set up your defense, but they're getting neither at the moment. They're not getting the aggressive rebound style of game and getting really good looks forward to the football, but they're also not able to stop it. The Saints had 28 turnovers in their front half for 14 scores. One in every two times the Giants turn the ball over in their defensive half, it gets scored against. That's dangerous, and that's extremely dangerous, and that is why I think they are inconsistent as a whole. Hodgie, what, what's your thoughts on, on what's going wrong with the Giants? And off the back of Dell's point there, are, are they not being coached to the strength of their actual players that they've got right now? Oh, you, look, you look through their side, and 
there's no doubt their strength is in around the contest that we've spoken about before about the Canelio, Whitfield, uh, Ward, Kelly, blokes that are highly skillful, hard workers. Um, what I used to look at when I was playing against GWS was, especially as a defender, I used to sit back and go, geez, who, who do you go on? You've got Green as a small, you've got Cameron, you've got Finn Lacey, you've got Himmelberg, uh, was it Riccardi who, who jumped onto the scene. So everywhere you looked, there was dangerous forwards who were either too tall for you or with Green, just a freak. I look at their forward line now and going, ooh, Riccardi's out. Cameron's not there. Yeah. They let Finn Lason go to Port Adelaide. There's just no fear. And then you add to that the fact that they were playing with a sixth up high behind the stoppage, which gives St Kilda not only their wing sitting at the back of the stoppage, but they've got the half-back sitting there as well. The, the forward line is just, just not dangerous. So no, no, there's no surprise that they, they beat Melbourne with contested ball last week by, by four, I think, and they, they beat them by clearances and eight, and they did the same last night by a lot more. But it's that off-ball transition, but going into a forward line that are sometimes outnumbered and, and the players up forward just clearly aren't, aren't good enough to play outnumbered. You, yes, you brought Green back in last night, but it's his first game for the year. No, I don't think anyone expected him to do anything amazing uh, apart from compete and just get a game under his belt. So that's the fear i got for them. If I had that forward line, I'd be playing six in front. I'd be telling the midfield that are on, that are on big money, that are experienced campaigners, that you battle it out 1v1. You don't need any spares. So at least that way, if we do win the stoppage, which we've been doing, we're going into a 6v6 and we might be able to get a stoppage or get a free kick or, or just get an honest battle without the ball slingshot, slingshotting out of our forward line up the other end. So Davis, Hopper, Brent Daniels is the pressure forward. Yep. Hogan and Dan Lloyd were out last night. Toby Green comes in and I was not expecting a Toby Green nah. performance and Hearing Leon Cameron post-game, he was saying it's probably two to three weeks away from when he actually probably gets back to some sort of football fitness, which is rightly so. So you look at the Giants as a whole, and the other thing that Leon Cameron said a lot in his post is we're down on confidence. That worries me a bit. And the reason that I say that is confidence is this big fluffy word that we all talk about when we're not playing the sort of football that we should. But the talent that is there and the system, whether we like it or not, Sando, like that, that is who they are. But they have a system that we know has actually given them some results in the past. They play finals last year. They win a final. So their system is okay. Now, I think it can be tweaked and can be emphasised a bit more in certain ways. But we can't. you can't just say, oh, we're down on confidence because you've got to give the actions and you've got to give the effort. And I think what we're seeing, the inconsistency is that effort and consistency around that is not there. That will give you confidence if you get that right. But that's the first piece. We always talk about the bounce back for Duro Veg, providing erosion control environment revegetation. Lockie Whitfield, I'll throw this open to all three of you. He looks, he's that line breaker. He looks listless at the moment, Lockie Whitfield. He, he's just, he doesn't look half the player he was. I struggle to say this because I love Lockie Whitfield. He's almost my favourite player in the competition. Um, he's not playing anywhere near his potential and it's really difficult to assess him because I'd sort of say he's like the Brad Hill, that his work rate is enormous and his output isn't there given the amount of work that he's doing. But he, you're spot on, Jules, that he's not having the impact that we know he's capable of by foot in regards to actually getting the footy on his hands or just creating those options to release a little bit of pressure. Where did he play, Dow? What position did he play when he was playing his best footy? So when, when the Giants are playing off in a, in a grand final a few years ago and he was... He went to half-back, didn't he, out of necessity? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he was the winger. And then I think he went to All-Australian off the top of my head, half-back yep. flanker. Yeah, I think, I think that's the best spot for him at the moment. It feels like they need that rebounding, hard-running... Um, set up quarterback type player at the moment, the Giants. But 
Um, you're right, Jules. He does. I mean, he's he's one that you'd have to say we do need a lift from 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 Whitfield. I mean, twenty odd possessions a week, not really hitting the scoreboard. Mm. Um, we know him at his best. He's been up and down the ground, accumulating across half back, and really setting him up with some of those um, offensive drives that Dow's been talking about. Is he the sort of player, and join in here, Hodgie, that is also reflective of this group? And the ball's a little bit slower. When they're not being ultra aggressive off the halfback line, that run that we know that he's still doing, like his GPS numbers would be off the charts. There's no doubt about that. But you actually don't get the reward because the ball never gets there and the flow's gone and the overlap handball's gone. And as you look at it, you go, there's no mojo here. And we look at Lockie Whitfield's raw numbers and go, oh, that's not what he's capable of. But you could say that about five to six of them. I think if they get that flow going again, and once again, very easy to say, but all of a sudden, all their numbers look better and they all look like they used to. Couldn't agree more. But I think last last night in that game, what, what GWS needed was off the half-back line was, you said before, a little bit of creativity, a little bit of a handball receive. Just if you're, on, if you're held up on the back flank, just take off over the other side just to create something, get some movement because that last quarter, it looked like they were out in their feet until they there was a few more injuries from St Kilda and they, they started to get a bit of momentum from the stoppages. But when they had the ball in the half-back line, they didn't want to take the game on. And that is Whitfield's strength with his skills. But the speed that they move the ball, it makes a team like St Kilda, we've spoken about them so organised and so selfless offensively. Defensively, they were able to do whatever they wanted. They were able to set up the zone, sit back, and which means that when GWS have the ball across the half-back line, they, just, they don't have to think. All they could do is just either kick it long down the line or turn the ball over. And that's why... I think you said it earlier that what got the game going with St Kilda in the third quarter, I think they kicked out of the three goals, out of the four goals, four, they kicked ball three from turnover. And that was just them getting set up behind the ball and GWS being boring and just trying to kick through it and getting it turned over and, and then slingshot from St Kilda. Sando, how hard is it to, like if they identify this and you assume that they are, they're going to analyse this within an inch of its life, and probably the first, you know, six weeks because it hasn't gone to plan. How difficult is it just to get the group to take the game on a bit more, be more proactive and be aggressive? Is that a difficult message to give a playing group as a coach? What you do as a coach in these situations is 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 belief, and it looks like at the moment that belief's just not quite there, and we're seeing the opposite with St Kilda is it feels like they're enjoying their footy, it's flowing, they're scoring on the back of great defence. Um Good form is only a quarter away. And that would be my message to Giants at the moment because the contest and the energy and the excitement around contest looks okay. Um, but it's it's like outside the contest at the moment, they've lost their DNA. It feels like what we've loved about the Giants and what we've been trying to stop them doing for the last seven or eight years is that outside run, that excitement, that creativity that Hodgie's talking about. So it's only a quarter away. So the next time they play, we're just going to win the first quarter. That's our goal. Forget about the scoreboard and winning the game. We're going to win the first quarter. And that's going to be on the back of great energy, great excitement around the contest, um, that run um, and create creativity from half back. Then we come in at quarter time and we start again. We reset. We have another crack at winning the second quarter. So you, you get back to the, the fundamentals, the basics, um, the elements of the game that make it enjoyable again because footy is hard and it's – Unfortunately, when you lose your confidence, you never know how you lost it, and it's so hard to get back. And then when you've got it, you look back and you say, how did this all start like with St. Kilda? Like all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're the number one scoring team in the AFL. Like, how did that happen? So, so talk me through this last piece then. So the second quarter was a quarter where it all went to plan. The contest was great. They were getting on the scoreboard. 
So then what would you say to the group at half-time, knowing that the third quarter ultimately lost them the game? Well, ulti- Sorry, Senator, 20 seconds. Ultimately, yeah. it's foot on throat. Yeah, okay. Go again. That's it, Jules. That, that's, <laughs> you only needed five seconds. seconds to spare. It's ultimately that, Jules. That's so foot on throat mentality. After the break, we're going to talk about umpire December. We're just going to round off the Giants conversation. I want you three to explain what the hell goes through Harry Himmelberg mm. and Toby Green's mind when Matthew Flynn takes the mark 20 out. He's playing well. Game on the line. They call for a handball. That's next on Crunch Time. Welcome to Crunch Time, brought to you by Isuzu. Go your own way with the three-litre Isuzu D-Max and extraordinary seven-seat MUX. Welcome back to Crunch Time. It's been a big first hour. I spoke to Mason Wood from the Saints. We analyse how well the Saints are going, what's going wrong with the Giants. Before we just get stuck into the umpire descent uh, debate, boys, I just want to talk about that incident last night. We saw one last week at a game you were doing with Devin Smith Mm -hmm. and also young Sam Durham. I might start with you, Hodge. What do you think when you see that happens? Matthew Flynn marks 20 metres out, 45-degree angle, and the co-captain and another Ford are running around the back trying to get a handball. I, uh, I was shocked when I saw that. I, uh, I think I commented at the time, considering he he was a pretty good forward for him. He took a couple of good marks. Uh, and the, the two shots on goal that he had uh, early in the game were beautiful kicks. He was as convincing as anyone on the night at kicking at goal. Um, so to see two players to be calling, and I think that's where, I'm not sure if it was a rush of blood or they, they were struggling to get into the game and they just wanted to feel a part of it. But that's, that's where the leader should be saying, hey, settle down, go back. Uh, especially with with what he showed early in the game, how how good of a set shot he was, that it had me it had me confused that they had with those two blokes asking for the handball. Um, it also shows that what I think it was Dale said earlier that the lack of confidence. Um, if if you're struggling, you're running around, and you need to try and give your team a lift, but you're resorting to trying to trying to steal a goal off a bloke who's <laughs> who's been very good in that area that night. So I was I couldn't believe they did it, but I reckon that would be shown. It would be one of the first things that, if I was Leon, that I'd be showing on uh, on Monday when they do the review of trying to put yourself in front of a teammate. Every club has a trademark, and I'm assuming in some way or another, in some sort of phrase, that the word selfless would be there. Now, the whole purpose of selfless is take yourself out of it and do whatever is best for the football club at any particular moment, Monday to Friday, but particularly on weekends to get the result that you want. That action from Himmelberg was not selfless. That was not in the best interest of the football club at that moment to be calling the football. And I know the person with the football is in complete control of the game. So you ultimately make the decision. But you are also put in situations where you feel like if someone's calling for it beside you, then they're probably calling for a reason. Now, that reason was for Himmelberg to get on the scoreboard and to get some confidence. and to make That was not the best thing for the footy club. So and selfish. I was very... I was, I was watching it last night and instantly saw it that that's not no, that that's not working. And then you see the replay and Leon Cameron's reaction in the box. That was the correct reaction for what he saw from his team on the weekend. That just, that, that was not good. But Dale, just to be clear on that, so even if he does kick the goal, though, you would say the same thing. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. But so I mean, you, I take the six points yeah, and yeah. they get back within a kick with you know a couple of minutes to go. Yep. But I would still have that same conversation sure. with that player, and I'd, I'd go broader than just that player. This is a message for everybody. This is not the best thing for the football club. If you take a mark 20 out, whether you've kicked two prior to that or you're a good kick or a bad kick, I'm with Hodgie. The leadership is take your full 30 seconds, 
take a deep breath, go back and kick through the football. That's yeah. what a leader does. If the guy has the yips, is it a different conversation? If we go back to the 2011 grand final, Tom Hawkins was missing and Stevie J ran around the back and kicked a big goal in the last quarter. I remember Sam Newman said it was one of the most gutsy, selfless things to do. Is it a different but, conversation if the guy's got the yips? It's, it's different though, but Stevie Johnson was by himself. <laughs> he had no pressure on him. Himmelberg had everyone around him. Mm. He didn't even give it time for blokes to spread out. So if a person, if you see a person who's taken a mark and he doesn't want to kick the goal, you can tell in body language, anything like that. But, but Flynn had been doing it no problems at all. Um, he, he saw an opportunity to try and get that handball and didn't even look what was the surrounding. So he's got the ball under pressure and and I think he ballied the ball anyway. Yeah, so yeah. it's you, you sort of sit back and go, Toby Green up the other end. He gave it to Kelly um, in the pocket when he was having a shot. No problems at all. A left foot on that side. Kelly, who's clearly skillful and probably one of the best kicks in that team, but he, it was a smart decision because he was on the right side for a left footer for him to bend it round. This one was a s- simple set shot from 20 metres straight in front. And it wasn't to try and help a teammate out. It was so he could kick a goal and get on the scoreboard. There was a similar one last week. I covered the Fremantle-Essendon game. And Devin Smith had a similar situation. Now, I've forgotten who the player... Uh, Sam Durham. There we go. Yep. Young Sam Durham. The exact same situation, but probably even compounded worse where Devin Smith had to kick it on his number third <laughs> foot and snap it across his body. Similar angle where... Uh, and I'd like to think, and I'm assuming that these clubs are still having these conversations. You, you obviously go back to your own experiences and, you know, if we did that, you know, what would the captain say? And would the leadership group, group talk about it? What would the coach say? That would have absolutely been brought up, you know, in our four walls. That No, that's not the best thing for the football team. Now, you, you bring up that other example. That was the best thing for the football team because it was a left footer snapping across their body with a highly skilled player. I see them as completely different scenarios. Yep, 100%. All right, boys, let's get stuck into the umpire descent discussion. It was always going to be one paid last night. Early on, Braden Proust just stuck the arms out. Ben Long a little bit and then almost pulled back. But then it was poor old Daniel McKenzie that was penalised. At the front, Ward took a good mark under pressure. Having a game, Ward. Yeah. Umpire descent. Oh, umpire descent. So there's the first one we've seen tonight. Well, that's another 50. Oh, so uh, Ward can just wander up virtually to the goal line here. Are you allowed to dissent about whether you dissented or not? Well, this is, this <laughs> this is, is against a... Daniel McKenzie, by the way. I, I, I'm thinking to myself, they've had a chat and oh. they're going to play common sense stuff. And yet all of a sudden we oh, see that rubbish. pointing he's, downwards. He's what? saying it's hit the, hit ground, the ground. It's hit the ground. Well, that's just rubbish. Rub- absolute rubbish. It is. Let's call it for what it is. It's, it's rubbish. It has the potential to ruin the game. You know, it could cost a coach their career. It could cost a team a premiership. I'll bet you they don't pay that in the finals. They'll put the whistle away like they do the 10 metre protected zone. It won't be paid. We cannot have goals against for that. That's not umpire descent. It hit the ground. It hit the ground. No swearing. He wasn't aggressive. (laughs) It hit the ground. It hit the ground. Okay, let's just go around the the panel first of all before we get into the broader discussion. Hodgie, first of all, when you saw that one were you surprised that was paid umpire descent or given everything we'd heard during the week, you thought, no, I'm actually not surprised he's paid that? Um, to be honest, I, I kept quiet because I had a fair go on Monday about uh, about the couple of the 50s that were given. Um, as soon as there was an action given towards the umpire and he paid it, we thought, well, he's paid it because the AFL have told him any action like that. But the hardest thing is, is there, there was two or three others 
Um, there, were, there was one late in the game. There was a hold in the ball against St. Kilda. I can't remember who it was. And they put their arms out. And I think Kelly played on and kicked it on his left. Yes. In, inside to, inside forward 50. And that wasn't paid. So imagine if that had been paid and, <laughs> and the game comes back to, to under a goal. But um, oh, you sit back and I, I go through demonstrable. Was it? No. No, I, I don't think even the couple last week weren't. I don't think the umpire feel intimidated by the conversations, by the actions. Um, and, and people sort of say, oh, the players have to learn. The players have to adapt. It's some part of your motion. Sometimes you, you need to figure out what the, what the, why you gave away the free kick or, or you don't want to take away from that conversation with the umpire. Um, other thing that Brad Scott said was it's up to the umpire. And then I got confused because early on he said it's not up to the umpire, it's up to the AFL to make these decisions, but it's up to the umpire if it's demonstrable. But as soon as someone raises their arms, you've got to pay 50. So I feel for the umpires. I, I sit back and go, good luck umpire in the game because they don't feel offended, but they've got to pay the 50 because otherwise they're going to get in trouble. But then they get booed from the supporters because they're doing what the AFL mm. have told them to, to do. Like I would leave the ground that confused if I was an umpire. I, I've left my dictionary at home this morning, guys. But I don't know what the definition of dissent or demonstrative is. But what I saw last night and the majority of ones that we've seen this year are not the two definitions that I have in my head about those two actions. Now, are they an action or a reaction to something that they're probably disappointed in, frustrated in? Absolutely they are. Does anyone feel threatened by it? Does the umpire feel like it's not in the best interest of the game? In my heart of hearts, I think the answer is no. Those actions aren't, and even the one last night with McKenzie, he put his hand out and for he did point a finger, he pointed out the ground. It wasn't in an aggressive, no, abusive manner. Now, we clearly understand the abuse verbally, and we all accept, and AFL players are brewing at this, they understand that those days are gone. Now, clearly umpires are mic'd up and we can hear a lot of things. That is what we don't want lower levels of football to, to be able to accept. Now, whether it's... Amateur footy all the way down to my kids at Auskick. That That's a no-go zone. We all agree. But this is like protesting in the city. Actually makes no difference if we believe it or not. We just keep walking <laughs> up and down the streets. But I'm going to go for it anyway, Hodgie. But what we're seeing right now, in my opinion, doesn't make lower-level football better or worse because we've got poor Dan McKenzie pointing at the ground, saying the umpire, in a not an aggressive way, that ball hit the ground, umpire. And then going, yeah, you're right. I did put my hand out. Let's go back 50 metres and allow a goal. So... I don't like the rule, but I agree with the concept, just not the way it's being enforced for the right reasons. Without a doubt, I think the whole reason they did it is so the supporters at local footy have a respect for the umpire. I feel it's doing the opposite. I feel bringing this in, everyone's looking at the umpire, waiting for him to make a mistake and give a 50 like they did last night so they can sit back and yell at the umpire because they disagree with the call that they've been told to make. As soon If they're doing that at home at the TV, what are they going to do as soon as there's a Tiggy Touchwood free kick at local football? They're going to get angry because they were angry watching on TV, and that's going to f- flow through into the local footy. So couldn't agree more. Trying to be respectful to the umpires 100%. And watching at local footy, um, you see parents and they yell out over the fence at little kids that are umpiring. You don't want to see that, and you want to make a stand against that. But I feel that this that they've brought into the AFL is making it go the other way. And the, the, between the spectator and the umpire, the rift is getting stronger. Well, boys, I might be on my own here. I'm on a, I might be on a one-man island. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think what we're going to see, and I think for 100 years we have given it to the umpires and it's getting worse. And I, I mean, I think my generation, Dow, our, our generation, we probably got away with far too much. 
and it was really disrespectful for the way that we spoke to umpires and that filtered all the way down to community footy to the point now, Dow, if I left the studio today and went to a local game, I would hear players, coaches and spectators giving it to our community-level umpires, which is not acceptable. And Hodgie's right. I know, I know what Hodgie's saying is we've got to be careful that it's not having the, the opposite effect, but we need to go the whole way with this. We need to go to the point where we are the best sport in the world at the way that we respect and we treat our officiating um, staff. And I think we're, all, we're already pretty good. And, you know, Jules, we had, a, we, we had a little chat before we came on air today. I think rugby union are seen globally as the uh, sport or the industry that have the best respect for their officiators. And we, we are going to be annoyed with this because we are all so um, uh, programmed to get angry with umpiring decisions. And um, the way that we now, when you walk down the street, when you, the way that you treat life now, we're so much better as a community with our respect and our responsibility and the way that we are changing our behaviours. We need to do that with sport as well. It's unacceptable for two or three hours a weekend to go and yell at abuse over the fence from coaches' boxes um, or on the field as a participant. So this is this is something that has to change, and it is going to change. And yeah, I like the debate, and I know we're all fired up about it. And um, you know, we'll probably hear from some players. I think Benny's going to play some yep. some some audio from some of the players before. It'll change. Players will know um, that. If a decision doesn't go your way, you hand the ball to the opposition and you put your hand up and you and you and you keep going. But um, what if I told you this? And I spoke to Dan Richo, Dan Richardson this mm-hmm. week. The umpires have never had more enjoyment umpiring the game this um, year. This year, because as in AFL level umpires, AFL level umpires yeah. are enjoying umpiring better than ever before. On the back of I think part of this rule, because it's just and. I've also had the I've also had the discussion with community umpires who they actually don't mind, and we're we're not going to see this extended community sport because part of the community spirit is the interaction and the enjoyment that players and umpires have on the field. That's part of community suburban footy. So I don't think we're going to get to that point where it's they're going to be ro- almost robotic. But this is a change that we need to make because we, we got away with it for far too long, and the way we've treated umpires has been disappointing and poor for way too long. So we'll, we'll be talking about this in a month's time because, I mean, we all say players learn very quickly and they do. And, and, and maybe for the umpires right now, I think Brad Scott was right to say, we don't want every time an arm goes up in the air to be free kick. So it has to be the umpire's adjudication, whether they feel like it's demonstrative or not. Maybe the umpires at the moment are a little bit trigger happy because they they want to make sure they're doing the right thing. But it, in a couple of weeks' time, I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, out in the field when a player is being demonstrative towards you or asking a question. Well, I, I that shouldn't be that hard to decipher. I challenge it? that, and I respect your comments, Sando, and yep. really well said. I do agree with, with all that. And I think we all do actually agree in principle for what we're trying to do as a game and as a yep. society. But but I'll pose this to you off the back of that. But they're not demonstrative. So if you're, if is it black and white or is it up for interpretation? Now our whole game and the beauty about football is everything's an interpretation of everything. But there'd be thirty a game of black and white. But but don't we? But aren't we trying to make it clear? Isn't that everything that we're trying to do? Because if, if it is up for interpretation, I could give you the same action to you as what I could do to the other end of the ground and get two completely different results. Isn't that against everything that we want? Don't we want consistency? Nothing that we saw last night for those free kicks that were paid, let alone the ones that weren't, that's a different conversation, were aggressive 
or demonstrative. Those umpires never felt threatened. And if we're already hearing what Sandos just said about the umpires are enjoying their job more than ever, we've also they've also been paying those free kicks. But they're never under threat. There hasn't been one where they've been abused where they said, like, old school, no, you can't speak to me like that. Those days are gone. These are guys with their hands in the air. And I go back to that Hawthorne example from last week. Those guys were having a conversation. Uh, yeah, I've spoken to an umpire that was there. Gunston did give him a bit of a bake. Okay, so that, well, that was that can, was. Can we bring up? Yep. Can we bring up the Harris Andrews one then, where yep, the umpire yep, yep. goes, "If you put out your arms, it's 50. That's where this that all started. Harris, Harris Andrews. I've never heard swear in no one in four and a half years, <laughs> let alone be aggressive towards anyone. Um, and I think that's where I agree with Dale. Where it's not a decision if they feel under threat or it's been aggressive. It's it's clear if you put your arms up or argue in any way that people can show that you're semi-questioning the decision, it's bang, it's 50. Because there's no way the Harris-Andrew one, and even he, he was like, sorry, mate, if you put your arms out, it's 50. He said it as casual as you like, because Harris is like, what was, what was that for? Um, so that I, I have to agree with Dale there. It's, it's not up to them and their decision-making. It's up to what they see. If they see arms go out in any way thinking or questioning the decision they made, it's bang, it's 50, whether they feel it's a threat or not. So... Open question to you guys. So the ones that weren't paid last night, I think there was roughly eight of, by definition, mm. without the interpretation, by definition, there was probably eight last night. Why do you think the umpires didn't pay it? They didn't feel it was demonstrative. Probably. But isn't this like any rule we've got? It's not black and white. One umpire yeah. sees a holding the ball different to another umpire five minutes later. Like, there, there will be the odd mistake from an umpire because they see it differently. Well, it's, like, all, it's, it's, it's almost the romance of our sport a little bit too. Like, if you look at soccer, if it's, if it's offside, it's offside. It's black and white. If it's handball, it's handball. It's black and white. We, we love this debate about, like, is, is exactly what you said, Jules. Is it holding the ball? Did he push him in the back? Um, did he mark it? When, we're probably the only sport in the world, a mark, you actually don't have to catch it. It can be touched, yeah. No, no. I mean, you can hold it for, I don't know, what is it, three seconds, yeah, you don't four have to seconds? Hold the whole time. Yeah, like in cricket, if you catch the ball, it's, he's out. But if you drop it, he's not out. Mm. But in football, <laughs> you can still mark it and drop it and still get paid a mark. So we've got, all, we've got an enormous amount of grey in our, in our game, which, which we love and what's, what makes it great because we're talking about it here this morning or this afternoon. Do you think this will go away? I think in a month's time it will calm down. Yeah, I do yep. too. I, do I agree. Too. I, I think it will calm down. I still think there will be significant moments or examples yeah. where it is inconsistent, which I think is the frustration of people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I just uh, quickly play what Scott Pendlebury said this week. He, he wanted to handball it to us, us in the media. <laughs> you, let's have a listen. you. Don't you do that. <laughs> you are part of us when you've got those cans on. Now let's have a listen to Scotty Pendlebury. I feel like the media is the last group to understand it. The players all have a handle on it. The coaches pretty clearly say, you know, we know what to expect, but it's the media guys commentating games of football that seem to have a big issue with it. And then that goes into the public forum because it gets spoken about so much. As players, we are so clear that anything we do will be 50. Okay. So Scott says it's the media don't understand it. I introduce you to number six from Hawthorne. James Sissy. Yes. Can we, can we just... Sissy isn't the clearest bloke, right? So can we, can we <laughs> get a better bad, example bad of Bad sample size of, of the AFL community. <laughs> We'd like a new witness, please. <laughs> but that was, that was a bit silly from Scott Pendlebury. I mean, we had decisions last week where the umpires came out and said we actually missed those. Mm-hmm. We had players completely bamboozled while they were penalised, like Harris Andrews. We had James Sisley saying they're not knowing the rules. 
I think this, Jack, this, Jack Rewald had a similar conversation. This I wasn't a media beat-up, Scott. This was a serious issue on the field last week. No, I didn't think that was Scott's. And we all respect Scott. He's one of the greatest players of all time and highly intelligent. I don't think that was his most accurate comment. And the reason I say that is if Scott was here right now, I'd ask him to explain last night to me mm. because that wasn't consistent and it wasn't clear-cut. And we had worse examples than the ones that were paid that weren't paid. So... It's it's not our rule. We're just trying to hold it to account and probably for us, and as Scott said, to get a better understanding because we don't get it. And I know when you speak to a handful of players, they don't get it. I think also we're in touch with the public a lot more than what players are because players get out of the they get out, they go and play football, they jump back in the car. They don't really mix in. I, I travel a lot um, <laughs> now being up in Brisbane and you talking to the supporters and they're going, why was that? Like they, they, they're they not in touch with the rules. They didn't, because that, for one, they didn't know about the rules, about the dissent, putting your arms out, arguing. The players and the coaches got told and, and showed vision of what's accepted, what's not accepted. We were the same as all the other supporters. So I finish a game, I walk to the car and you get 15 questions on why, the, why was that 50 paid? And then at the airport, you get another 25 questions on, on the same stuff. So... Uh, I kind of have to agree. It wasn't Scotty's best moment, but look, I, he was trying to look after the AFL. But clearly, the um, the explanation needs to come out to the media and play uh, and, and spectators just as much as it does the players. Should Brad Scott front a, a media conference or for more clarity post this round, like he did last week? Uh, let's see how the rest of the round points out. I'd be interested to hear from him whether when they review the game last night, whether the Daniel McKenzie one he thinks is right or not. To be honest, I reckon that would be the worst thing because it's just going to continue to get talked about. I reckon put it away, let the umpires umpire how they're going to do it. We'll determine whether we like it or not just by talking about it. But I think in the next next month or so, as you said, it's going to ease up as it always does. They bring in the rules strong and then it will go back to common sense from umpires and the AFL back on what the umpires are going to do. That's a pretty good message from Mason Wood from the players' point of view. It's something that can cost you big time. So they're going to have to adapt pretty quick, whether the they sounds, like it or not. By the sounds of Mason, they're trying to use it to their advantage, hoping or predicting that the opposition will be the ones that mm. don't adapt quick enough so they could get some free yardage out of it. It, it makes a bit of sense. Yeah. yeah. And so, Hodgie, do you think in a month's time we'll still be talking about this or do you think it's actually going to settle down pretty quickly? Oh, I think it's going to be like the, the holding the ball or the, the duck in the head. Um, we're going to accept it because we love the game and we have to. Uh, and there's going to be the odd howler that we're going to talk about, but I don't think it's going to be to the extent of what we have over the last week or so because it's new, it's fresh. Um, a lot of people don't like it because it's not what we're used to. So there's no doubt in a month we're still going to get one which we'll disagree with and, and it'll be raised, but it won't be to the extent to um, be covered as much as or as in-depth as what we are at the moment. I want to pose the question whether we are actually missing some of these then in regards to arms out. So what we're seeing is the 50-metre penalty is being given away when you give a free kick away. So the example last night with McKenzie, he thinks it hits the ground, so he reacts to the umpire. The one that we're missing, in my opinion, is when you, for example, lay a tackle and you think it's holding the ball, there's players still turning around to the umpire with arms out. But that's prior to a decision being made, isn't but, it? But is that not dissent? Is that not still well, questioning that's, that's, an umpire's but that's decision? that's asking for the call and where if they've made the call, then you're, then you're complaining about the call. So you there's can, so you can put your arms out appealing for a free oh, yeah, kick, 100%. but you can't put your arms out yeah. out of disappointment so for giving away if, a free if kick. It's wrong, if you think that that's deliberate, you can go, hey, umpire, deliberate. But if he's gone, no, it's but not you just question, But you just questioned an uh, umpire's it call. Hasn't, it hasn't been made yet. But there was a no call, but you're questioning but an umpire. But that, half the time they put their arms out before the umpire's even made a decision. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, uh, just throwing it out there. Uh, you can either pick it up, Jules, yeah. or put it straight back <laughs> down. That's your choice. It's clear as one. Hey, before we get to the brothers, one more about umpiring. What did you make of Cody Waitman's comments this week that he feels one of the strengths of his game is playing for free kicks? 
Is is that going to come back to bite him? Yes. <laughs> Imagine what Hodgie would do to him. Imagine what Luke Hodge would have done to him. But he could get the, his head knocked off his shoulders and it'll be play on. If, if you're going to come out and, and the umpires, umpires are doing as good a job as what they possibly can, especially when there's, like, the game's as fast, blokes are as strong, blokes are as courageous as what they've ever been with putting their head over the ball. If you come out and openly say that, yeah, I'm pretty good at this, I can, uh, <laughs> yeah. I can get a free, a free kick that's not quite there off an umpire. If I was that umpire and talking to a few umpires um, now that I've finished, that they sort of, they knew the people that ducked their head a little bit and they would, They'll sort of let him cop one here and there unless it was a big one and it was pretty obvious. But there's no doubt the umpires are going to hear that. And then if he doesn't get one or two the next next couple of games, I reckon he might know why. If you were coaching him and he said that, would you be thinking, Cody? Yeah. What do you say? That for? No, that was a disappointing <laughs> comment, wasn't it? Um, he had a very good game though last week. You very know, good. He, um, for a player in his post game that said. I didn't feel that great today arriving at the ground and I've, I felt a bit flat in the you know warm-up and then four goals in the first quarter. But, yeah, I think I think we do like that. I, I actually don't mind these young kids just expressing themselves a little bit. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, don't take that away. If that's how he feels, say it. Yep, yep. fair enough too. Uh, after the break, <laughs> oh, this will be fun. Let's get stuck into what the hell is going on with the red and black. <laughs> award-winning Crunch Time. Welcome back to Crunch Time. We're going to get stuck into the woes of the Bombers ahead of their big game on Anzac Day. A little bit of an update from training too. Looking pretty good. Zach Merritt moving around pretty well. Jake Stringer as well. Ben Rutten says they're more than a 50% chance to play, which I think would surprise uh, many people. So we'll get stuck into that shortly. But before then, let's get an update, a dabble update with Heath Shaw. Enjoying Crunch Time Banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy Crunch Time Bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Well, we're joined this week by the Lord of Dabble, Lord Heath Shaw, who has just ticked over 50,000 followers. Now, with all your achievements, like playing in a granny, winning an Anzac Day medal, where does this rank, 50,000 followers? Yeah, well, it's it's up there, mate, because um, obviously I've had Twitter for a long time and been stuck on 45,000 people. Instagram, not many people like me. I've only got about seven or eight. And um, within one year, jumping onto Dabble, um, I've got 50,000 followers and I'm, I'm not even that good a tipster. So um, I think that's a, that's a massive achievement for me and um, something I hold very close to my heart. Okay, I'm a bit confused. Depending where you look, you've kicked either 42 or 43 goals. So is there more pressure lining up for goal in front of 50,000 people or riding home a bet with 500 copies from other dabble customers? Yeah, well, I didn't I didn't get the opportunity to kick too many goals, um, especially set shots from playing deep in defence. Um, but obviously having the pressure of the, the copy bet, um, it's it's good putting a bet on and like obviously you can just ride it home yourself and if it loses, there's, there's no sort of repercussions. But... When you have a little bit of a copy bet and there's a few people behind you, and even if it's you've got three of the four legs and going into the last leg and you, you're not that confident in that last one, um, the pressure is certainly on. So it, it, it's good fun. Um, it's, it's great. And you, when you, you celebrate your wins more, but you, you very much know about the losses as well. So it's been a fair old journey to get to 50,000 followers. What's some of the funniest banter you've seen on your journey? Um, oh, one of the better ones was... A uh, guy said, send me, send me your address. So I gave him a pretty good tip. Send me your address and I'll send you some flowers. I said, how about I send you my, my girlfriend's address and you send them flowers <laughs> to her and say it's from me. Um, so that, that worked out in my favour. 
that was that was a good one. But um, no, nah, there's there's actually some really good banter, and it's it's great because um, you get um, instant feedback, win, lose, or draw. You get the instant feedback. Some people some people get a little bit upset, but some people like to have a bit of fun and um, and joke around it. Just like back to playing footy. Now, now nudging 300 followers for crunch time AFL. Got any advice for us? Yeah, well, mate, you just honestly, you've got you've got to pick an outsider because people love when I put a bet on and it's a two dollar favourite. Yeah, you get a couple of copies. Yes, and it wins and that's all good. Um, but if you get a twenty dollar winner up, um, people jump on quicker and they it's a little bit of the FOMO, fear of missing out. If you if you tip a twenty dollar winner and they don't copy you or don't have a little have a little bit of a dabble on it, then they feel like they're missing out. So um, once you get one of them up, make sure you promote it, make sure everyone knows about it because they'll, they'll come thick and fast. That's big round six in the AFL. What do you like this week? Um, well, unfortunately, my my Giants couldn't get the job done um, last night against the Saints, who, who looked real sharp. Obviously, Pies on Sunday. Oh, sorry, on, on Monday, Anzac Day. That's a huge game and looking forward to that and looking forward to that every year. So I think the Pies are too good for us and then they're, they're struggling a bit at the moment. I, I do think that Adelaide are a sneaky chance. I think they're playing $3.50. I think they're a sneaky chance against the Bulldogs purely because I don't think Bulldogs have the greatest back line in Australia. Um, and Tex Walker's is in serious form. So Tex kicks five. I reckon they're a big chance of winning. Okay. Well, the crunch time team this week, we, we agree with you. Today we have Adelaide to cause an upset in Ballarat, Port to get over West Coast and sing their song for the first time this year. And it's an interesting one. Fremantle. Should be just a bit too strong at home against Carlton. Now, Derm has passed on his bets as well. Tell me what you think about these ones. Robbie Gray to kick four-plus against West Coast. And Lockie Neal to have over 40 in the Q clash tomorrow. To follow Derm's tips at Dermy underscore 23. What do you think of those ones? Yeah, that's ambitious. Um, <laughs> 40 touches is tough work, but if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Lockie Neal. And, um, well, Robbie Gray, I love Robbie Gray. I've played on him over um, a long period of time. He probably cost Port um, last week the win against um, Carlton because he missed a few late in that last quarter. So Jeremy's probably assuming he's had a bit of practice during the week um, and he's, he's straightened up that radar a bit and, and he gets four. So uh, ambitious, I'm assuming fairly good odds, but um, you've got to be in it to win it. Exactly. Well, Heath, good luck with your bets this week. The Bombers will bring you down. They'll knock off the pies on Monday and that'll stuff you up. But uh, have a great weekend and we'll talk soon. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Download the app, follow Crunch Time AFL and copy the bets in one click. Go on, have a dabble. Dabble socially and, of course, gamble responsibly. Okay, let's get stuck into the Bombers. Nice little segue off the back of that chat with Heath. Sure, I might go to you first, Hodgie. There's been some efforts that have been highlighted uh, during the week that were really poor. When you watch Essendon at the moment, what, what's your biggest concern? Um, I, guess, I guess my biggest concern for them at the moment is is their depth. I think if you look at a team like Melbourne, who have had look a number of their premiership team that have been out at the start of the year, they've had blokes, mature blokes have been able to step up, play the role. Um, remember back to Wiedemann, who, who stepped in when Ben Brown was sick. Um, they've had Lever out for a lot of it. They've just been able to find blokes that have been able to step up, play their role. Um, you look through with Essendon, they are still a very young side, but people that have missed games this year, well, obviously Merritt's been out for, for a bit. He come first in their BNF. Snelling's been out for most of it. He come third. Stringer was fifth. Langford was sixth. Um, where, when I look at them, I look at the blokes that are coming up are still trying to understand AFL football, and therefore... When you've got so many gaps with your senior players out, 
that's what you produce. You pr- produce a lot of efforts where blokes either try and run forward to get on the end of the ball. Um, you can look... You can be outclassed when everyone's not playing team defence. Um, and that, that does happen when you've got younger blokes at the, and too many younger blokes that step up and play on that side. So, yeah, I, I do know that there were a lot of... There was a, a lot of vision that was shown la- last week. That it's, you sort of sit back and question and go, are they on the right game plan? Are they disciplined enough? Um, but I feel once... The football that I saw them play towards the end of last year when they had a lot of those guys in, they were doing that well. It's just that when you're missing so many of the senior guys, it does hurt the team, and, and this is some of the, sometimes the performance you get. There's a few layers to this, and I covered their game last week against Fremantle, and being there live, you get to see a different dynamic, and you get to get a bit of a feel of the game, and the way that I would describe them is they're picking and choosing, particularly this midfield group, and I was, I was looking at this group and the way they were going about it and they're not being asked to do anything they're not capable of. They're making a distinct choice in that moment to not chase, to not locate, to not be part of this team defence. And, and Hodgie speaks, you know, and that, that's really accurate. The, the whole definition of team defence is you have to work through the whole team. Now on turnover last week, Fremantle, they weren't working through the whole team. They were working through 13 to 14 because a handful of them, which ultimately break the whole thing down, weren't defending, weren't locating. At times, they were walking. Now, the difficult bit is, you know, we're assessing them off the back of the first five games, and I'm assessing them off the back of two hours. Now, we'd all be lying if we sat here and said we've never done that. We've never, you know, taken a, you know, a shorter step or taken the easy option. We're all guilty of it, particularly as midfielders, where we all just want the ball in our hands. But the difficulty is, and more scrutiny comes, when you're not getting the outcome that you want you actually get highlighted even more, whether you get heaps of the football or not. And they've got some really good inside midfielders. You look at Parrish. Like, Parrish's year last year was exceptional. But he had some moments on the weekend that weren't exceptional. And they get highlighted because you're held to a higher account and a higher standard, rightly so. But their inability to defend the ball when they are kicking inside their forward 50, it is then turned over. It was like a one, it was like Little Burke Street. It was just one way. It only went one way, and they had no capability of slowing the momentum or slowing the speed of the ball down. And it went from one end to the other. And at times, they didn't look desperate. They didn't look like they were prepared to do whatever it took to not only keep the ball in their front half and defend, you know, in a smaller space, but even to get back and support their defenders whose backsides were hanging out. And it's not their fault. Definitely They're often an outcome of all the things that happen up the field, like the forwards are on, on um, when they go forward. But it was just so disjointed. There was no team defence by definition. So, Dow, the, the question from the coaches then, and this is the scary one, is they can't do it. Or they won't do it? Won't would be my assessment off the back of last week. I don't think they're being asked to do anything they're not capable of. And there was examples shown on a handful of shows, and it's been spoken about all week, about particular players not chasing. Being there live last week, I can promise you within 30 seconds, those players that weren't chasing were sprinting to the far side to get the exit kick. Yep. That, that, they, they're all tired. This is AFL football. It's not like everybody's you know just cruising around. They're, they're tired players. But you can't be tied on defense and then have all the energy in your legs on offense. It just doesn't work like that. Dale, with that though, that's I think that you'll find that players play a similar way. And what you find when you're in a good, consistent team that's defending well, I reckon he would have still. Uh, sorry, who taught Parish? Parish still would have run those patterns last year. It was just the fact that the other guys around him were either defending, and he was getting the end reward. That's why he was noticed so much last year. So. Well, I think we've all been in teams where you know the blokes that are going to defend and you know the blokes that are going to be 50-50 and we're going to run forward and get rewarded. Uh, and what happens is when your team isn't as 
good or those senior guys are out, sometimes it is a little bit more obvious to see because the ball isn't getting turned over. They're not getting the ball on the end of it. Where you're looking who's up the who's up the ground and who's cheating forward, and it's those similar players. It's just the guys around them aren't doing their normal role. So I reckon if you watch this week, if you get the guys that are coming back from injury, I reckon those blokes are still going to be running the patterns. But it's just it's whether you can turn the ball over and get the ball to them. Um, that that's where I, I feel because he's probably doing the same thing as what he did all last year. But just the guys around him aren't defending as well. Hodgie, one for you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want you to go back to when you guys were dominating the competition for a handful of years in a row. And you guys had a really good team defence. But within that team defence, did you know that you had teammates that weren't ultimately doing everything they could defensively? And if so, how did you cover for them, I guess? Well, how, I guess that, that's the whole part is you, you played your role. Um, I'm not going to be someone who's going to be able to break open to the fat side and get that open outside kick going inside Fort 50 because my running ability just wouldn't allow that. <laughs> um, so I knew that that was my spot to stay back, stay behind the ball and try and squeeze up and try and get anyone else from the opposition who who was, was sitting forward. Um, it's the same as a forward. I know, I know that we had some, some quality forwards, but the times that we could move the ball well, we would find them out the back and they're one-on-one and they were excellent forwards, one-on-one in front of the ball and, and deep in the Ford 50. But when we weren't transitioning the ball as well as what we could have, the coaches would look and say, why is he sitting in the Ford 50? Where he was doing nothing different to what he was doing when we were playing well. It was just we couldn't get the ball through their zone. And then you'd look up the field and that forward's sitting in the Ford 50 and then he gets yelled at by the coach for not squeezing down. But if we're moving the ball well, he gets rewarded, kicks the goal and they say, oh, smart running by you. You read the play and you did that well. So... What I'm saying is you, you can't just look at the one person because he's probably been doing this for 12, 18 months mm. and running those patterns. But it's a lot of it relies on, as we spoke about with the St Kilda game last night, a lot of it relies on your teammates, them playing their role, and then the end result of him getting on the end of the ball. So um, I, I do understand what, you say, what you're saying. It does look bad. Like when, when, things don't, when things don't go well and you're not turning the ball over and then you look who's ran forward, you sit there and go, geez, he's cheating. But he, he doesn't just do that this game. It's been a habit of it and obviously they've been allowing him to do it in the past. Hodgie, you're playing halfback flank last week and then getting ready for Anzac Day this week for the Bombers. We're playing a scenario. What would you be saying if you were halfback to those midfielders? Squeeze down. (laughs) (laughs) Nice and politely, I'd assume. (laughs) I think that's that's where and Essendon probably aren't at that at that stage, but when you've got blokes that have played together for a long time and you understand each other's role, and you know that, look, if they're not there, you can go and talk to them and say, look, you left a bit earlier this time. We need you to stay a little, little bit longer. Wait for us to get hands on the ball, and then you can go. That's the communication you can have with senior blokes and younger guys who are given that role to, to burst in front and, and try and get in front of the football behind their opposition defence. When you're missing so many of the senior players, as, as I said, with Merritt being out, Langford, Stringer, Snelling, a shield at times early in the year, missed the, missed the game. Um, you don't have the people around them just to have those conversations out in the ground just to get them to ease up a little bit and don't hedge your beds that early. Uh, and, and it shows. And as you said, some of the, the vision that you saw last week, it didn't look pretty. Um, but there's no doubt they'll have chats about it and he might just hold, they might just hold, <laughs> hold a little bit longer before they start trying to get in front of the football. Well, it sounds like they've had some, some good chats. Uh, Andrew McGrath was fantastic on Sports Day. He had Matthew Lloyd there firing them at him pretty hard from an Essendon point of view. And... Uh, like, St Kilda had these hard chats about midway through last year, didn't they? After they lost to Adelaide when they were overrun up there in um, Cairns, I think Cairns, it was. Like, it was also off the back of the week before against the Swans. They, yeah, they put yep. some things on the table. And if you listen to Andrew McGrath here, it sounds like the Bombers have done the same this week. 
So, Andy, it's a second uh, shocker in five weeks. I'm talking as bad as it gets. The Geelong was just a horrible performance in round one, and then that one on the weekend was was really, really poor. I, I believe you lack honesty as a group, and that's a that's a strong thing to say about a team. You lack honesty as a midfield, uh, and I, I just don't think there. Yeah, as I said, it's a hard thing to turn around. So you you just touched on things that aren't going to be accepted. What do you mean by that? Because I'd be interested as, as a, I'm interested and as a bomber supporter, what what isn't going to be tolerated that you have in the first five rounds? Because as I said, lacking honesty uh, gets you nowhere, and that's what I feel your midfield in particular does lack as a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair question, Lloydie. Um And the conversations we've had from Wednesday to this afternoon have been as open as they have been um, at my time at the footy club and and we're really getting into the why and, and why things are happening out there. It's easy to see what's happening and, and comment on what we're doing wrong, but we're not trying to do the wrong thing. So it's figuring out why each individual isn't doing their role to the best of their ability. Um, and then uh, I think from a midfield point of view, a lot of our senior players are in there. So we need to stand up and take responsibility for what's going on out on the field. And um, we're taking taking it personally. Like myself, Darcy, Dylan Shield, um, are all in there, which are senior leaders of our football club, and and we need to stand up and and lead by example and show the younger players what what the Essendon way is. That's yeah, pretty strong stuff there from Andy McGrath. Let's see if they can produce that on Monday against the Pies in the Anzac Day match. Let's get another breakaway after. We'll just go through a couple of the other games and a couple of the other issues heading in to a big round six here on Crunch Time. The award-winning crunch time. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong, and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. All right, so I'll, take, I'll take the rev up because it's my first time on the show for the year. So I'm going to go the rev up. It has to go to Ken Hinckley and the boys over there in Adelaide. Port Adelaide, you are a much better team than 0 and 5. You've got the West Coast Eagles, who are notorious for making significant changes. They've just brought that back a tiny bit this week, West Coast Eagles. Carl Amon, big statement. He's out. In comes the Brownlow medicine, Ollie Wines. And just like a Harley, they've got to get off the line quickly. They've <laughs> got to get out of the blocks, Jules. They've got to go. This is their first win of the year. It is all about... Tom Jonas said it will be, definitely. Has he guaranteed it? Declared it it publicly. Okay, well, if you've declared it and you're a current player, then you know the results. So tip the port and uh, you get the job done. uh, Port Adelaide and West Coast have played five times at the Adelaide Oval. How many times do you think Port have beaten them? Five. Less. (laughs) Three and two. Less. One and four. Less. Zero and five. West Coast five, Port Adelaide zip. So I'm you're not saying they're your due. Now, Dale. So you're saying they're due. That's exactly what I'm hearing. Anyone you want to give a rev up to, Hodgie? Dale, after that convincing <laughs> argument, he just backed right Come out on, the door. Port. Get going, Kenny. <laughs> now, of course, we're gearing up for today's clash at Mars Stadium between the Dogs and the Crows. We're seeing the pictures come through. Magnificent looking day uh, down there in Ballarat for Dometic Patrol, an icebox with a sense of adventure. Boys around the table, any chance the Crows have an upset here? No English, no Hunter. Uh, always a chance because I reckon they're actually better than what we're giving them credit for. They're more yep. competitive than what I thought they would be. They're based on effort and being able to absorb pressure. Uh, but I can't see them winning this one. It is a tough road trip for the Crows, isn't it, to play in Ballarat. Obviously, you fly across to Melbourne and jump on the bus for an hour and a half to get up to Ballarat. English is a big out for the Dogs. I know they get Stefan Martin back, which is which is important. He's a, he's a really good ruckman. But 
Sloan out as well. You know, that's mm. a, it was devastating last week for the Crows to see him get injured. But uh, they're playing some better footy, the, the Crows. I, I did the Collingwood Crows game at the MCG a few weeks ago, and they were really poor. But, gee, I've actually liked it the last few weeks. They've got a little bit of um, offense back again. Their fast ball movement. Walker back makes a massive difference in that forward line. So I, I do give them a sneaky, a sneaky outside chance. But... The dogs have got a lot to play for as well. I mean, they're, all, they're obviously still sitting outside of the eight, so it's a it's a big game for the dogs. Crows look like they're playing with freedom. They look like young kids yeah. that just love playing in football effort. and yeah, based on effort, but mm-hmm. also with ball in hand. There's a little bit of creativity mm-hmm. with this group, which makes it unpredictable. I like what they're doing. Hodgie, you won't like this uh, putting your old Hawthorne hat on. The news has just come through: two late outs for Hawthorne on Monday, Jath and Tom Phillips. So they lose Mitch Lewis, Ned Reeves, Phillips and Jath from that team that beat Geelong. Yeah, it's, it's not great. CJ's been so important with Sicily and Hardwick in the half-back line. Um, Phillips, he, he was up and down that wing mm. and, and was serviceable on the weekend. But Mitch Lewis has been someone who I've noticed a lot over the last last 18 months, months really mature. Um, he's kicked the bag of five a couple of weeks ago. He was really exciting last week in their win. But... Look, you look at Sydney, Hawthorne and Sydney have had some big battles um, over the last few years, um, back all the way back to 2012. But they, they just surprised me. They just never fall away, Sydney. They're mm. just so competitive. <laughs> that that system they got, I know they always talk about the Bloods culture, but every, everyone who walks on the field and, and plays in that jumper, they just know the role they have to be. And there's no egos. We've spoken a bit today about blokes running in front of the ball and putting themselves first with a handball receive. You don't see that from Sydney, and I think that's why they're such a consistent team that if they do miss the finals, they always jump straight back up, uh, as we've seen the last couple of years. It's really, it's really frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, it's very annoying. It is. It's so annoying. <laughs> you know, Hawthorne's rebuild's taking about 10 games at the moment. So that's pretty frustrating. <laughs> if Hawthorne can knock them off, yep. if they beat Geelong and Sydney in consecutive weeks, do we change our expectations around what this Hawthorne team can do this year? Uh, my initial answer would be no. I, I think that they have surprised and probably leapfrogged a few teams which we didn't expect. Like they're currently sitting in eighth position. The Swans are in fifth, so it's a really good game. I still think Sydney, even down there in Tassie, they win this weekend. But I think the conversation should be, let's give more credit to the Hawks than what we probably thought they deserved. Where's the upset this weekend? We got one? There's, there's always one or two this year. Gee, I'm looking forward to the Fremantle-Carlton game. I yeah, think that's yeah. going to be an absolute ripper over across in Perth, sell out too, uh, which will be which will be awesome for the fans over there. Um, Frio might be sneaky good, and we got a and Carlton's last two games they haven't been amazing. They've they lost to the Suns and they just fell in against uh, Port Adelaide, who were fast finishers. But that's going to be a ripper game. Kangas beat the Cats down at uh, Blundstone Arena. Kangas beat the Cats. Come on, Dale. Come on, Nick. <laughs> That's your hand. Let me. Oh no, I've tipped the cats. Sorry, I looked at the wrong, wrong week. We my the... bad, guys. Kangas beat the cats. There's my upset for the weekend. Well, the Kangaroos uh, were awesome against the Swans two weeks ago. Yes. They and they should have won that game. They were in front with a couple of minutes to go against the Swans at the SCG. But just have knows. a little bit of a sneaky. The Suns up here. It's a little bit slippery. They play their ground really well, and the Lions haven't had a good history at Metricon, so that could be a little. There you go, one too. boys. It's been a pleasure. Bulldogs and Crows next. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91